Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on Sunday, August 8th, 2021. Today, Pastor Rod Heppel interviews Robin Kadeen Lee and preaches the fourth message in our summer sermon series entitled Faith in Action, Lessons Learned from Old Testament Saints. Check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. So uh, this morning, we have our special guest, Robin Kadeen Lee, with us back from Italy, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But first of all, thanks for being here. I know that you just had your second shots yesterday, and that's always so fun. Uh, Karine ended up on CTV. Uh, they were filming her when she got her, her shot yesterday. But both of you have sore arms, and you're not feeling great. But we're super glad you're here willing to do this today. Now, you're our missionaries. For anyone tuning in today who doesn't know, Rob and Karine are longtime members of Sardis Fellowship. Rob's been here for almost 20 years, and kadeen has been here for 13 years. They were involved in the life of our church prior to going with Avant Ministries to Italy to do church planting. We worked together in young adult ministry and uh, young marrieds, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, Kadeen, you were working on your master's degree and you needed a church ministries internship, and so you got to work under me, and I had a lot of fun trying to boss you around, which just, that didn't happen. Uh, but that was great. You guys were uh, very involved in the life of our church, and when it came time in November of 2016, we... Uh, wholeheartedly commissioned you as missionaries from our church. We're, we're your sending church. We're your family that prays for you and financially stands with you, and we care about what's going on, and we know it's been really, really challenging. You're home for a couple of months, just uh, July and August, and heading back September 2nd. You've been able to get to Camp Kuanos, and your kids got a week at camp, so that was pretty cool. And uh, now you're here just for, for the month of August, and we have this chance today to connect with you. So bring us up to speed. A couple years ago, you were home. And we heard a little bit, you were going back to Italy and to a city called Bergamo, and then all of a sudden, uh, Bergamo gets hit with COVID, and there's mold problems in your house, and there's schooling issues, and all that sort of thing. And we were praying for you, but take us from two years ago when you landed in Bergamo up to where you're at today. Okay, yeah, so when we, we, we arrived in Bergamo, and I think pretty quickly we realized there was a lot of closed doors. Not just like navigating a new place, but even difficulties with the school and uh, then, like you mentioned, like the mold in our house, the kitchen disconnected and suddenly like schools are shutting down and we couldn't find a new place to, to live um, and then COVID hitting. Um, I think in our updates, we mentioned how from the time we left Bergamo, which is the time we resettled in in Florence, it was about eight years, uh, eight months. But yeah, it was a long journey. We arrived then um, near Florence because we we just reached out to friends who helped who helped us during that time, and um, we arrived in the winter, like in a coastal place with like our winter clothes. And by the time we were leaving that place to go to another friend's house, we were cutting the kids' uh, pants in half so they could have, like, summer clothes because our staff was all in Bergamo for all of that time. Wow. Um, so it was a lot of transition for us, a lot of uncertainty. We, we decided then at some point that, we, that Bergamo was a closed door for us. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, it's hard, sometimes it's hard to see when you're right in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. We, we took that time being away from there to see. And just because of where we were at with all of the transitions and difficulties that we've experienced, we decided that we would survive in the field, basically, 
if we went back to where we had some support and where we had already some relationships established. And that's when, like, and, and Florence was always in our heart. We didn't want to leave in the first place. Right. So just for those who don't know your story, you were in Florence for how long originally? A year or two? Two years and two, a half. Two and a half years. And then you made the move to Bergamo for that eight-month period that was so exceedingly difficult. Now you're coming back to Florence and you're finding you, you have a support base there. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, during that time, we, we created connections and friendships. We also noticed that Florence is, is an international city and is a place that um, people get foreigners because a lot of foreigners live, live there too. It's part of, the, part of the, the people of Florence. Yeah, their uh, culture. It's yeah. in, more international than yes. other cities. Yes, for sure is. Um, so yeah, we have like not only friends, but a lot of people we were ministering to already and, um, and that we could, could have picked it up. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay, so we're kind of getting that time frame and the decision that went along with it to move back to Florence. And then, of course, COVID is going on and it's so exceedingly difficult. So through all of these kinds of challenges that you were facing, are, are there things or ways in which you saw God working in you or what was, were there things he was teaching you or anything along that line where you're going, okay, God, what's going on here? What, what was going on in your life in response to God as you're going through all these different difficulties? So I think for me especially it was um, I've learned to lament. Hmm. And for those who know me, I've always been like this super positive person, just like spinning everything to the positive light and, and at some point, I was done with that <laughs> mm. because I've um, I've learned that there's also like some beauty in in just um, looking at the suffering and and how God even relates to that to our suffering and how like the Bible is just full of laments and and even like Psalms just like being honest with God about our pain about like uh, questions that we have um, and that deepened our faith. And, and just how, how God walked us through it. And I think in the middle of that, in learning how to lament um, and trusting God that because of who he is, we've also learned who he was for us in all of these transitions, in all of this place, who he's the, how he is the God that he claims to be. Mm-hmm. Rob, do you have anything that you'd like to add to that from your experience in this? Yeah, in our, our experience... I mean, it was it was difficult, but we we recognized that um, it was difficult all around for for everybody here and, and in Italy. Um, yeah, but one thing I I wanted to add was just how we saw how much we could how how much we were supported by by people, especially from from this church. Um, we were really learning a lot about perseverance at this time, and there's so many times where we just wanted to give up and and even come back home. Um, but through the, the support of the church, the, the, the financial donations, the, the prayer, and the words of encouragement we, rece- we received, we were able to, to continue. That's amazing. Um, prior to us starting this interview, you joked about the fact that people continued to support you financially, which if they hadn't of you would have come home, but you didn't even have that convenient excuse during COVID. And I think that's a really cool testimony to people standing with you, recognizing the fact that you're trying to do church planting work at a time that there's a pandemic going on. And we know how challenging it is here in North America and in our context where we have all of our support systems, it's so hard. But there you were there trying to do it, how much harder? 
and, and yet you, you didn't say no, you didn't quit, you're still there. Talk to us about your heart for the people of Florence. Who are they and, and how is it that they've found a place in your heart or finding a place in your heart? Yeah, Karun mentioned before how Florence is a really international city. Um, they're, they depend so much on tourism. And of course, when the borders were shut down and, and everything was closed, it was devastating for the city. Sure. I mean, it, tourism is the number one um, component of the, the economy in, um, in Florence. So when, when things were closed down, uh, actually all through, throughout our time there, even when we first got there, there there's quite a number of people that are um, begging mm. in the streets. But um, especially during COVID, we started noticing that there's families out and, and uh, this impacted us a lot because uh, it's just quite devastating to see sure. these families that were struggling. So we were looking for ways that we could help and this is one of the things that we were doing over the last while was um, supporting families of, of Florence by helping them with groceries. Uh, people were actually sending us money and that we were able to reallocate that to, um, to, to support families that were in need there. That's really cool. Um, I'm, I'm wondering about as you're looking forward now, and of course none of us have clarity on what's going to happen with COVID and restrictions, and I don't know exactly what it's looking like in Italy right now. But as you project forward, if, if restrictions continue to be lessened and you're able to do more kind of connecting type ministries, what do you envision by way of the next couple of years looking like for you in Florence Church Planting? Yeah, we, we, have, um, we have some ideas, some things that we've done in the past, some things that we know that work. So, like you said, it all depends on what happens. We don't know uh, what the restrictions are going to be in the fall and going through the winter, whether things tighten up again. If they do remain open, then we, we will for sure try and restart some of the activities that we did when we were in Florence the first time. Like we had this kids program, we already had... A whole bunch of kids that have been requesting or parents uh, requesting us to restart this English program that we were doing before because it's something that they really value there right. is learning English and through the program that we did the first time we were able to connect with so many families from the community and this is something we're really excited to, to start up again if we get the chance to do this the other thing we love to do is host and is something we did really frequently. We did two, three nights a week wow. in, in our home in Florence before, uh, just with different Bible study groups and, um, and food, Is that of like course. one of those cultural values where you come together around food and the Absolutely, of although it's hard for a Canadian to do that in Italy because they're so, uh, you know, they, they have high expectations, so oh, we I have see. to... You've got me. <laughs> so you can't give them leftover macaroni and cheese that won't cut it? No, that doesn't cut it, no. It has to be top quality. But no, it's something that we really enjoy doing. We just love sitting around the table with people. Okay, so we want to be praying for that. So food and connection and the, the potential to use English that is a value for them and, and kids and parents want their kids to learn English and all that. Mm. Um, so you're going to kind of go back to some of those plans. We can totally see why mm -hmm. that would work for connection. Yeah, and we're in a different part of Florence this time around. So, like, the, the things that we had done before, we're, we're not working with um, all of the people that we were with before. But going back to Florence, we were really able to reconnect with a whole lot of people and uh, just picking up in some ways where we left off. That's awesome. So we want to be praying for you. Mm -hmm. 
what are the ways in which we can be praying for you? Maybe, Karin, you could talk to us about the schooling and some of the challenges around that. Yeah, so our kids are going to try the public school again. Oliver is going to grade one. Okay. And, and Sophia is going to grade three. Right, okay, so Sophia is eight years old. Oliver is five. Both, yeah. So grade one and grade three. And, and what does um, that look like there? And we are hoping it's going to go smoothly, but Sophia, last time we had to pull her out because of all the transitions and right. difficulties just um, with new adapting to another school, new friends, new everything. So throughout this year, we, we try to keep um, some contacts for her in the school and inviting like classmates over and playing in the playground by the school and all of that. But uh, we're hoping that this transition will be a little easier for them and that they will adapt to school and Oliver won't find um, won't, won't find too challenging the new routine of sitting on a desk for a lot of hours. Right. So kids sitting at a desk for up to seven hours a day. I heard there's no playground, there's no gymnasium, it's not like North American school. It's like you're, you're growing up now. You're five. Come yeah. on. <laughs> Go to grade one and sit for seven hours at a desk. Exactly. I was that boy. That was me. That is an outright lie. Still is. I can identify with Oliver's challenge. I still identify with that. Okay, so we will be praying for your kids as they transition into public school there and, and that particular element that is so challenging. What are other things that we can be um, remembering you in prayer for as you head back? So, just briefly touching on this um, idea with the family, what, if the if, if our family's settled and, and things are in place, then that will actually give us the opportunity to be able to go out into the community and do the work that we were doing. So um, also with our work then, obviously, with our ministry, we, we that, that there won't be too many restrictions so that we'll be able to meet and do this group and networking that we were doing before. This, uh, we really find, has been uh, the thing that we found most effective, the thing that we're quite good at doing is building community and so uh, in our new neighborhood and our new um, area that we would be able to do that. Excellent. Um, other prayer requests? How are you doing financially? Uh, you said people have predominantly been standing with you through this unusual time of COVID. Throughout the years that were there it, it tends to, to go down a little bit so um, it would we can always use more support then as well. So if anybody would like to, they can for sure contact us, and um, that would be great. Now, following the service today, we're going to be having a little luncheon, a little barbecue at our house if it doesn't rain. That's at 11.45 a.m. in Greendale. But if it is raining, we're going to meet in the fireside room. So if anyone watching here this morning wants to join us, you can come on out and enjoy that and then connect personally with Robin Kadeen Lee. Uh, make sure you bring a chair and... Um, and that would be helpful. So, yeah, on Sunday, what we really want is just to connect and to hear about you, um, how you've been doing, and just have a meal together. And I know that this is it's new for a lot of us. For It's been a long time since we, we've had this type of community. Yeah. So. It's going to be good. Now, Rob and Kadeen have a, a house here in Chilliwack, and they rented it when they were away for the last two years in Italy. And unfortunately, they had a situation where the renters did not take care of that home. I mean, it needs an, a painting and carpet and pressure washing and yard work done. And so there's a ministry opportunity for our church family. If you are available tomorrow, which is Monday, August 9th, to come on out to Rob and Kadeen's house. What's your address, by the way? It's 46 
291 Valley View in Promontory. In Promontory. Come on out, bring some of your own gardening tools if you want to garden. If anyone has a pressure washer, we really could do some pressure washing. Uh, or if you're good at painting or ripping up carpet, hey, we can use some muscle. Just come on out tomorrow. And uh, the phone number, if they want to get in touch with you, is what? Or how about your email? Start with your okay, email. Okay, it's rob.lee at avmi.org. Good. Okay, my phone number is 778-201-5715. So I really encourage you, if you uh, have some time tomorrow and you want to be a helping hand and really bless the Lees, come on out. It's going to be the Lee family makeover at their home up in Promontory. I want to pray for you guys. I want to pray for those things that you've asked prayer for and just know that we are standing with you in prayer too as a congregation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Robin Kadeen and for Sophia and Oliver. We know that it has been an exceedingly difficult two years, uh, challenge upon challenge. And they talked about their experience there of just learning to lament, to not try to sugarcoat it or make it sound better than it, than it was. It was hard. It was not easy. There were days where they felt like quitting. And we read about that in scripture often. We know it ourselves personally in our own lives. But thank you that you are the God who is faithful and that you walk and journey with us through life, even through the hardest times. I pray that you would take care of them as they in faith step out to again go back and serve, that you would provide. Provide for their schooling for their kids. Provide the right environment for those kids to do well. And provide the opportunity to connect with neighbors in their community where they live through the ideas that they have, whether it be food or teaching English. That everything they put their hand to, you would bless and that a church could be born in Florence. Lord, we know that they have other needs as we think about the rental house that, here that needs to be fixed, but also needs to be rented uh, by September 2nd when they go home. And so we ask that you also provide for them in those ways. We pray for your blessing on them. They've been hard years, Lord, but we also know that through the times of pruning, then often follow with great fruit. And so we pray for that fruit, and we trust you for it, and we'll give you the glory for it as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for being with us here today, guys, and we look forward to chatting with you over lunch today. Take thanks. care. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you were leading something and you just want to quit, but you know that you can't because God won't let you? I think that we just kind of heard something like that from Robin Kareen Lee. Uh, they've come back from Italy and they've shared about how hard it was, and they told us that they couldn't quit. Why? Well, they said partly because this church family continued to support them with words of encouragement and prayer and financially as well. God wouldn't let them quit. You know, if I was being honest, being a pastor going through COVID has not really been that much fun. And there were times for sure when I felt like quitting. But here's why I didn't. Because I knew that you guys were praying. I knew that it was your prayers that were supporting myself and the rest of us on staff as we were going through COVID. But maybe it's not leading in a church context or as a missionary um, in Italy. Rather, it's just simply leading in life. Maybe you're called to lead, and you are to some degree, in your home, at school, on a team, maybe coaching a team, leading in a role in the community, or it could be leading here at the church. Whatever the context is, God has you there, and he has you there on purpose, but you find it hard. And if you were honest, you'd like to quit. But God won't let you. So what do you do? So today, in our Faith in Action sermon series, we're looking at Moses. He was truly a great leader and a noble person, and God used him in absolutely amazing ways. In fact, it says this about him in Deuteronomy 34. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. 
For no one has ever shown the Pharaoh, pardon me, for no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. You know, so that's a pretty outstanding uh, description of Moses. What a person, what a leader. But if you know the story of Moses, you know that it wasn't always that way. And in fact, it didn't even start that way. And to be honest, more than once, Moses wanted to quit. So I've titled today's sermon series, Moses, a Reluctant Leader, Trusting God When You Want to Quit. As has been our practice in this sermon series, we've been looking at Hebrews chapter 11 and seeing how it was that that author commented and commended these Old Testament saints for their faith. So there are five things from verses 23 to 29 where where they commend Moses for his actions of faith. But the first one, right off the bat, quite frankly, is not Moses' personal action. It's his parents' action. So verse 23 says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child. Not exactly sure what they saw there. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, you may remember that the message from last week by our youth director, Richard, which, by the way, was a very good sermon, um, was on the story of Joseph. But now, 400 years have gone by, and the Joseph being the prime minister of Egypt is, is, is gone, it's forgotten. Everything has drastically changed from that time. Uh, the new Pharaoh in the time of Moses no longer remembers Joseph, no longer remembers the goodwill that was being shown to the Hebrew people. In fact, the Hebrew people had grown so large and numerous and prosperous and strong that they were seen as a threat to the Egyptians. So this new pharaoh, he orders the midwives to kill all the Hebrew babies when they're born. Of course, these midwives didn't obey him, but that was the command, and Moses' parents kind of snuck Moses away when he was born and put him in a little ark, a little basket with pitch around it, floated it into the Nile River, and it just so happened that Pharaoh's daughter came down to the river, and she finds Moses floating in this basket, realizes it's one of the Hebrews' babies that was trying to be saved, and so she saves Moses' life. Moses then goes and is raised in the household of Pharaoh, so he grew up as a privileged child of royalty. That's Moses' story, and you can read about that in Exodus 1 and 2. So that was the first act of faith by Moses' parents. The second act of faith is found in Hebrews 11, verse 24 to 26. And it says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now, we're not 100% sure where the author of Hebrews gets all of this information about Moses' life story. But in Exodus chapter 2, it does record this, which gives us some insight into how come he deduces this about Moses' life. It says, one day, Moses, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you did the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now, from that one 
part of Moses' story. At least this we can deduce, that he knew he was a Hebrew and that he identified with being a Hebrew, that he cared about the Hebrew people and he cared what was happening to them. Now the third act of faith recorded in Hebrews 11 is found in verse 27. And it says, by faith he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Now this kind of sounds like a contradiction to what we just read about Moses fleeing from the king, right? The king tried to kill them and Moses flees to Midian. Well, you need to remember that there were two times that Moses fled Egypt, right? The first one we just read, but it is possible here that the Hebrew author has in mind the second time, the time when God calls Moses to go to Pharaoh and to demand that he release his people to come out to the desert to worship him. That too was Moses fleeing Egypt that's called the Exodus. It was an act of faith. However, if the author of Hebrews has in mind Moses fleeing this time here, we would need to understand a little bit more about the story and what it was that this king was most angry about. Was he angry that Moses killed an Egyptian and he was trying to kill Moses for killing an Egyptian? Or was he more angered by the fact that Moses had so identified himself with the Hebrew people that he had gone that far, which was nothing short of a betrayal to the king himself? Moses didn't, he would have regretted killing a man for sure, but he did not regret identifying himself with his people, and that is considered an act of faith. The fourth act of faith that is noted about Moses is that he kept the Passover when he applied the blood to the doorframe uh, of his house. So in verse 28 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Now, this was the final plague that was brought on uh, Pharaoh and all of Egypt, and it's recorded in Exodus 12, and it tells us that all of Israel kept this command, so not just Moses, but what we understand here is that it was by the command of Moses that the people obeyed God and were saved. And so Moses was the one who led Israel into this truth, and God saved them. Now, this is a really important point here because we need to remember that by obeying God's command and by the applying of the blood in this situation, the people were saved, right? The destroyer passed over the homes when he saw the blood on the doors. So that there becomes symbolic or uh, a foreshadowing of Christ. Think about Jesus, right? This sounds a lot like Jesus. He's the Lamb of God whose life was given. It was his blood that was shed on the cross. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're obeying God. And by doing so, our sins are forgiven and our lives are saved for eternity. We are protected by the blood of Jesus. So this story here is a foreshadowing of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, which is what? That we are saved by faith in Jesus. You're saved by trusting what God says to be true. The fifth example is actually attributed to the people of Israel, but again, it's related to Moses because he's their leader. And so this is what Hebrews 11.29 says about this act of faith. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Now, this is a fascinating part of the Exodus story, maybe even the, the climax of the story, right? Um, and if you think about it, it's a pretty amazing step of faith to enter into the Red Sea with the walls of water piling up on either side of them. Like, just picture what that would look like if you were walking down in there. Now, after Pharaoh's firstborn had died, he finally relented and he let 
let the nation of Israel leave. And then he changes his mind and he sends his army to go after the Israelites. They're trapped up against the sea and they can't go anywhere. With the army behind them, the sea in the front of them, there's nowhere to go. This is what happens. Exodus 14. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. So I wanted you to picture that, right? Walking through that sea with the walls of water piling up beside you, what would you be thinking? I know what I'd be thinking. I'd be thinking, is it going to hold? <laughs> is it going to come down and crash on top of me at any time now? I would be freaking out about that if I had to be called by God. So it's a step of faith. It's an act of faith of the people of Israel to say, God, we trust you. We're going to walk through. This is how it ends. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and the chariots and horsemen. This is because the Egyptians followed them into the, into the Red Sea. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. And they never complained again. No, you've, you know the story. That trust was very short-lived. In fact, three days later, after only three days of journeying into the desert, they were thirsty and there was no water. And what did they do? They complained and their trust was gone. So with this uh, thumbnail sketch of Moses and his faith, what we see here is that Moses was a, a, a chosen child of God that was protected miraculously. He was called to lead a nation, uh, a very large nation, and he was probably the most well-known Old Testament character. So he, he's this great figure. He was a prophet of God who met with God regularly. He spoke forth the words of God. He also was used of God to do these miraculous and powerful things. And yet, Moses was a reluctant leader, and that's what I want us to look at today, which is maybe a bit ironic in that you have five different faith actions that I could have talked about here today, but the one that caught my attention as I was reading through the story of Moses was how he stuck with it for 40 years with the people that were not easy to lead. For 40 years of them complaining and grumbling, and, and, and Moses saw it through. However, he did want to quit at times. Now, I just want to do a by the way here. Um, I'm not making a parallel between leading a church congregation and Moses leading these grumbling people. I would say that our church congregation is such a supporting and encouraging congregation. It is a privilege to be a pastor at Sardis Fellowship. So don't read anything into this that I'm not intending to be there. Here's what I do want you to hear. I, I want you to understand that by saying yes to God and following him, it's hard. And that there are times when any one of us will want to quit, but we can't. We have nowhere to go, and God won't let us quit. I want you to hear in the story of Moses his perseverance and his obedience. And out of that, uh, even, I mean, even while in that, that he wanted to, to quit. Because I want us to be real about the tension that exists within us in following God. That while we want to persevere and we want to obey, there are times we want to quit. So, have you ever felt like that? Like, 
Maybe you might say, why does God make life so hard? And why, God, have you called me to this place? Or why have you called me to do this thing? Or why have you placed this person in my life? Or how, how come things have turned out the way they have and now it's so difficult? Why have you got me at this job? Or why can't you choose someone else to do this rather than me? There are all sorts of questions that we have. And these are the kinds of thoughts and feelings that Moses had in leading the nation of Israel. Now, right from the start, Moses was a, re a reluctant leader. In fact, he didn't want the job in the first place. In Exodus 3 and chapter 4, uh, God comes to Moses and he speaks to him through a burning bush that doesn't burn up. That's what's so amazing that it catches Moses' attention. And out of the bush, he speaks to him and he calls Moses to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses just simply says, God, I'm not your guy. You're making a really bad choice in talking to me about being your leader. You know, God's very patient in this story. Um, he comes to Moses again and he explains to Moses that I'm actually the one who's going to be doing it through you, Moses. I just need you to be my representative. You speak my words. You do what I ask you to do. That's all you have to do. And even after God shows Moses three convincing signs of his power that he's going to be with Moses to do this, Moses still persists, persists in saying, I'm not your guy. I'm not the leader. Now here's how their conversation ends. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, go. I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you in what to do or what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. I love that. Send anyone else. Not me. I don't care who you send. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said. What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he is on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak. And I will instruct you both in what to do. I would say that at this point in Moses' journey, one could hardly claim that he was a great leader or a man of faith. He does not fit that at all. He simply did not trust God. Not yet, but he would in time as he learned to obey God and follow his instructions. Here's the deal. Moses felt inadequate, right? And I know that we feel inadequate. There are times that God calls us to do things and we're just like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I can do that. And that's actually not a bad response. It wasn't wrong for Moses to feel inadequate. It was probably quite appropriate. It was quite, probably actually a, a sign of humility, which is one of the signs of actually being a good leader. But it is a bad thing to say, I don't trust you, God, right? I don't trust you with what you're asking me to do. And I often thought, as a parent, I felt very inadequate, um, which is interesting because while you try to read books and gain understanding and skills in raising kids, one of the elements is that it's a faith journey. That, that you have to trust God for wisdom and insight as you go. When we were raising our four kids, we had one of them that went through a temper tantrum stage in life. And if you've ever had that happen, you know how frustrating it can be. Uh, we were actually coming undone. We didn't know what to do. We had read up on it. We'd used all our tools and nothing was working. We were at our wit's end. And I remember Anne and I going into our bedroom, getting on our knees by the bed, and we just, we prayed earnestly, desperately, 
asking God to intercede in our child's life, to give us wisdom. Please, Lord, help us. Uh, we were convinced he was on a path that was going to lead him to jail, right? That was one of the last times, if not the last time, that they ever threw a temper tantrum. We felt inadequate in raising our children in that situation. Um, but as we cast ourselves on God, he gave us strength to carry on. And however this all works, because I'm not saying it's a one-to-one -one equation that I went and prayed and God solved the problem, but from that day forward, our child did turn a corner. And so I think my experience there is that in our inadequacy, are we just trying to do it ourselves or do we turn to God for his power and his strength for us in our time of need? The reason why God was upset with Moses was not because Moses felt inadequate, but because he didn't trust God. If you were to take the time to read through the story of Moses from Exodus through to Deuteronomy, you would see all the changes that take place in his life as he walks with God. You would see a person who goes from this guy who lacked confidence to lead to knowing that he could completely trust God in life circumstances. And to be sure, Moses had some pretty extraordinary circumstances in his life. But Moses grew so close in his relationship with God that it was just an ordinary thing for him to go into the presence of God, to come back down, meet with the people. His face would be glowing, and they were like, we can't look at you when you're glowing like that. They couldn't even handle the reflection of the presence of God in Moses' face. And for Moses, it was just another day on the job meeting with God. Then at one point, Moses even had the audacity to ask God if he could see his glory. I mean, who does that, right? No one would ask that unless you had some level of relationship with God that would allow you to be, believe that God would actually even hear you. So this is how it was put in Exodus 33. If you're pleased with me, Moses is speaking, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Between God and Moses, often you'll find them saying your people, God to Moses and Moses back to God. No, they're your people. There's this little struggle going on. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face you must not see. So here's Moses, this unique person who has all these wonderful, amazing experiences with God, is used of God mightily, does all these amazing acts of faith, and yet I'm picking out something about him that is a failure. His reluctancy to lead and he wants to quit. So why do I say that he wants to quit? Well, because I haven't shared with you all the story of Moses. Over and over and over again, the people of God complain about him. They complain to him. They complain about him. They complain that there's no water. God gives them water. They complain there is no food. God gives them manna and quail. And then they complain about having too much manna and quail. They complain about not being able to go back and live in Egypt, which was by far better. They've forgotten the slavery. They don't trust God about the promised land. They complain, 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 to the point that God was ready to wipe them right out and start afresh with Moses. But then God remembers his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now there comes this moment where Moses was overwhelmed with all this complaining that was going on. He couldn't take it anymore. 
and he really rants with God. So we're going to look at that rant. Numbers 11, Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. Wailing, they were complaining. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? Why have I, what have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land that you promise an oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me if I find favor in your eyes. And do not let me face my own ruin. Wow. I would say Moses is talking pretty straight there to God. And I might have been looking for the lightning that's going to strike, right? But you know, God would rather us turn to him and be honest with him in our time of need than to keep it to ourselves or to fake to other people that everything's just fine and we just pretend. That's not what God wants. And when we do that, when we act like that, we're actually caring more about what other people think about us than what God thinks about us. That's called pride. And it keeps us from getting the help that we need. You know, we need to be honest with God, but we also need to share our burdens with one another. Robin and Kadeen Lee have just shared about two years of frustration and difficulty, setback after setback. And when I asked Kadeen, what is it that God has been teaching you? She was quick to say, to lament. To lament means a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And that's what Moses is doing here. He's lamenting. So what does God do with that? He carries on. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Wow. Wow. So my question is, what's the burden that you might be carrying today that you feel like you're carrying it alone? And then the next question is, are you taking it to God? And have you shared it with others so that you don't have to carry it alone? God gave him 70 elders to help carry that load. Galatians 6.2 says that we are to carry each other's burdens. Can you trust God? And can you trust others with your situation? So how does the story of Moses end? Well, sadly, Moses and Aaron, they had led this stubborn nation for 40 years and they blew it with God. Um, Moses and Aaron got angry and they, in a way, they played God rather than trusted God. So Numbers 20 puts it like this. He, Moses and Aaron, gathered and assembled together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we, hmm, who, we, bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and he struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give you. Wow, what a consequence. And they didn't. Forty years, Moses and Aaron led the nation of Israel. Aaron died first at age 123 years old. He was Moses' older brother. And then Moses followed shortly after um, at 120 years, but he did not go into the promised land. Joshua would lead the nation of Israel into the promised land, not Moses. So Deuteronomy 34 finishes off like this. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, 
across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all the Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zor. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, a servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. Moses was a great leader, but Moses was human. Moses was used of God to do great and mighty things, but Moses was not God. And when he sinned against God like this, he did not get to enter the promised land. Moses could lead the nation of Israel, but at many times he felt like quitting. And I think somewhere in there, in his story, we identify with that. And I challenge you today with whatever it is that's in your life that makes you kind of feel like you want to quit. Have you taken it to God? Have you laid it before him? Have you shared it with others? And are you finding the strength and power that God has for you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I know that we have a variety of different situations that we face in life. And often we don't bring you into it. We don't see it through the lens of faith. We see it through our flesh and we get so overwhelmed and discouraged and we lose hope. And in looking at Moses' story and how difficult and hopeless it seemed at certain times, you never left him and you empowered him and you were the answer. And so today I pray that we, your people living today in 2021, would also be people of that kind of faith, that we would lean into you. Please meet us. Give us what we need in our time of need. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.